0: On to today's show. (music) Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome TJ Gagliardi to the show. TJ is a former NHL forward playing with the Colorado Avalanche, San Jose Sharks, and Calgary Flames following his time at Dartmouth College. As a co-founder of Outcast Foods, TJ has quickly become one of the young leaders in food and agriculture with his unique look on sustainability. Additionally, TJ has been a guest lecturer on food waste at Rice University, a speaker at the Tuck School of Business, and an active angel investor and real estate developer for 10 years. TJ, how are you doing today? Doing well, Raj. Thanks for having me on. TJ, thank you for joining. TJ, before we dig into Outcast Foods, I want to ask you another question. How did you end up at a vegan restaurant in Siberia? <laughs>
1: uh, that's a that's a question I've never been asked before, but I, uh, I ended up uh, playing in the KHL over in Russia, and I was vegan at the time, and obviously I still am now, but um, was, was trying to find something to eat out there. I, I didn't expect to find a vegan restaurant in the middle of Siberia, but uh, was thankful when I found it.
0: So you were a professional athlete. You played here in the US at the NHL. You were playing there in the KHL. You know, there's this question that goes around and round, specifically around protein. So I'm going to let you share. How does a professional athlete survive on a vegan diet? Uh,
1: I think pretty much how uh, any vegan survives on a on a on a diet, uh, basically eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. I think the thing that people forget to say is that fruits and vegetables actually have protein in them as well. So um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fruits and vegetables, a lot of legumes, nuts, uh, seeds. So yeah, it's it takes a while to perfect it, but you find what, what works for you and you run with
0: it. You know, I heard something recently that I really liked. It's um, nobody ever asks cows or elephants how they survive or where they get their protein.
1: Yeah, I like that one. Um, I won't say I was as strong as either of those two, but um, <laughs> yeah, they, they do pretty well on
0: on plants. So when you went vegan, it was in the middle of your career. What kind of commentary, or maybe even perhaps feedback, did you get from your teammates?
1: Um, you know, I think some of them thought I was crazy. It was still pretty early in the in the plant based uh, movement back then. Um, so I think some guys didn't really understand what I was doing. But for the most part, there was there was curiosity. Um, I would always find vegan restaurants or restaurants that had some really good vegan options when we were traveling on the road. And you know what, a lot of the time guys would uh, guys would come and experiment with me and see how they felt. And I think it probably planted some seeds in, in some of them to uh, make, a, make a shift further on in their careers or to become a little more plant-based. And I, I still get messages from some of my ex-teammates that say that, uh, you know, I inspired them to, to make a change. So I'm pretty proud of that.
0: You know, it's amazing over the last few years, how many professional athletes, you know, to name a few, maybe Serena Williams, most notably Tom Brady speaks very heavy about, you know, being vegetarian or mostly vegetarian. It's interesting to see the shift after all these years of, you know, essentially meat and potatoes. So I'm kind of hoping it continues. And staying on that topic of, you know, vegan and vegetarian, can you give the audience a background on outcast foods and your role at the organization?
1: yeah so i guess a little over three and a half years ago myself and another uh, another vegan uh dr darren burke is his name wanted to start a business together and and his history was in the supplement business he had started a, a brand on his own from a fifty thousand dollar line of credit to uh 22 million in revenue in the fifth year and and had a successful exit but um so we wanted to to find a way to to get back into the into the fold of business together and uh, the thing that we kept coming back to was food waste. It seemed to be a massive problem that, that there were really no solutions for or no one even working on solutions other than some very small niche brands and products. So we uh, we came up with this idea to partner with a lot of these companies and farms and and food processors that that were responsible for the waste. And I I say that in as nice of way as I can because, you know, once you learn about why they're wasting the fruits and vegetables and the products, it it makes sense for them as a business. So. We, we figured we'd partner with them and we'd come up with our own dehydration technology to give these products a, a two to three year shelf life and then find a home for them as as either supplements or ingredients for other companies. So I think we thought it would be easier than it than it turned out to be. It was uh, three plus years of ongoing problems and headaches and things that uh, needed to be fixed, especially when it comes to our technology and the, the regulatory piece around that. And anytime you say you're working with waste uh, I think people start to raise their eyebrows and and try to figure out what's going on because I think the the picture that pops up in your mind is is moldy fruits and vegetables but the fact of the matter is the product we're working with is is in mint condition so yeah that's kind of the the overview of Outcast.
0: You know it's interesting our view of waste because in nature there really is no waste.
1: Yeah that's uh that's a good point it's there's always something that, that this, these products uh, can do for the world and the environment, but we're trying to capture that, that nutrient profile in an early enough stage where it can be used for human consumption still.
0: So obviously, without giving away any trade secrets, can you walk us through the life cycle of, a let's say, an imperfect fruit or vegetable when you get it to when it becomes you know a finished product?
1: Yeah. So let's say we get a truckload of bananas from our grocery partner that are too yellow, Um, those will, those will show up at our facility. We will, um, Mm -hmm. do an inspection immediately. Um, and then we have a a multi-stage process where, where the product is inbounded, it's inspected, it's, uh, it's washed, it's, it's run through multiple steps of dehydration and and multiple technologies. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what our customer wants, uh, whether it's, let's say banana chips, banana slices, Uh, whole banana or banana powder uh, we finish it in in that way for them to to use in their final application
0: i may not word this correctly but what's the most popular or what's the fruit or vegetable that goes to waste the most
1: i think it depends on the region um you know you could think about whatever fruit or vegetable goes goes bad the fastest that's that's typically what's going to be wasted the most so uh, leafy leafy vegetables, leafy greens those go to waste at a very high rate or uh, on the fruit side um, you could think about peaches, nectarines, a lot of the stone fruits those go bad fast so those get wasted a lot but I think there's waste in, in really every stream so uh, we're just trying to, to find as many, partners as we can that that have that waste and and find a way to upcycle it for them
0: well you mentioned region where is your facility currently located yeah so we
1: started with a proof of concept facility in in dartmouth nova scotia which is in atlanta canada and uh, we've expanded that space i think we're on our sixth expansion right now and it's being tripled uh the the footprint right now and we're also in the process of building out a forty six thousand square foot facility that's uh going to be in just outside of Toronto in Ontario. So uh, we'll have two amazing facilities and servicing all of Canada and the U.S. as far as our our partners go.
0: Now, I know you've been selling via e-commerce direct to consumer. Are you currently available? Is your product currently available in stores?
1: Yeah, we sell in in plenty of retail retailers uh, with our with our supplement brand, so that's uh, mainly in Canada. We're about to launch in the U.S. this summer, which is super exciting. We'll be in about a thousand doors in the U.S. Um, you'll have to follow our socials to see exactly where we're. We're getting excited to to release that info, but um, in Canada, we're pretty much everywhere across the country.
0: What's your personal favorite out of all of your products?
1: Well, you know what? We just came out with with three new flavors of our of our protein product, and. Uh, I think my favorite would be the mint chocolate chip. It is, uh, it's got such a refreshing flavor and you can mix it with just water. That's how good it is.
0: I'll be sure to check it out when it hits the stores in the US. So you've been on the journey three, three and a half years now, is that correct?
1: Yeah, November 2017 is when we officially
0: launched. What are some of the challenges along the way?
1: I don't know how long we have on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> I could go on forever. Um, you know, it's it's very capital intensive when you're dealing with with the machinery that we're dealing with and the scale that we're dealing with. So uh, it's it's extremely expensive. It took us it took us probably the better part of eighteen months to to come up with our own unique technology. We had a lot of regulatory issues to deal with, like I alluded to earlier. When you're when you're dealing with waste, it's just uh, it's a whole nother spectrum to, to work with the, the certifying bodies on. Um, logistics, uh, if you can imagine having you know, over two dozen partners, figuring out what you need, when you need it, while simultaneously figuring out uh, who you're selling the product to when they need it by it's it's uh there's a lot going on and having a a b2b side of the business the ingredient side as well as a retail side of the business it's almost like having two companies at once but uh we've we've uh we've kind of come into this space at a a very important time and being first to market as an upcycler has been a has been a fun journey for us and uh, we're just kind of riding the wave right now
0: so you played hockey for what 15 17 years is that correct I mean I started playing hockey
1: when I was uh, four years old so uh, <laughs> I played till I was uh, 29 30 years old so yeah I played my whole life but played professionally for uh,
0: just about 10 years ten years what's the transition like from you know being a professional hockey player professional athlete to becoming an entrepreneur I mean there's a lot of
1: similarities there's things that I've that I've used uh, from my playing career in business, uh, I think most importantly, it's it's a resilience. Um, it's kind of understanding that there's going to be highs and lows and trying to stay even keel. That's something that's definitely translated because uh, you can get caught up in business and think, you know what, this this meeting right here is, is a make or break for us or this, uh, this presentation is going to be the biggest thing for us ever. But uh, the reality is, is that There's there's most likely always going to be another one. And um, you just got to make sure you're as prepared as possible for for everything and and uh, put your best foot forward. So um, it's the transition's been good for me because luckily enough, my my co-founder, Darren and I, you know what? We had a plan in place and the timing of of my retirement um, and the ending of his five year non-compete worked out perfectly. And we, we launched almost immediately after
0: that. Going back to your journey as vegan, what made you transition to becoming vegan?
1: Uh, I think there's a few things. Well, my my wife, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, was kind of one of those original vegans that no one knew what even vegan even meant back then. So I think she started to just kind of tell me some little things about it. And, and I started to experiment and and try different things in, in my diet to, to help my performance on the ice. And um, additionally, my mom's actually been uh, vegetarian for 30 years, so I've, uh, I've definitely seen what, what can happen when you do it that way and, and how healthy they both are. And I think I just, yeah, I, I took it slowly and then eventually I got to the point where the only thing I, I was eating that was animal based was, uh, was chicken. And then I, I said, enough's enough and I'm, I'm just going to go, go all in.
0: And if you did, what kind of, you know, changes physically did you feel in, during the transition?
1: yeah I think uh, most importantly when, when I was playing hockey, I, I noticed that I recovered faster and I think a, a big reason for that is is I was sleeping better. I, I used to toss and turn in bed. It felt like hours before I would fall asleep and it was it was pretty crazy that once I once I switched uh, to, a, to a vegan lifestyle and, and diet that the second my head hit the pillow, I was asleep. So I was sleeping more, and I, I think it's obvious the more you sleep, the more you recover. So that was important for me, and I had more energy throughout the day. So, um, yeah, that was, that was number one.
0: Now, you mentioned your wife, and you mentioned your mother. That final transition point for you, leaving the chicken, switching all the way over, what was that aha moment?
1: Uh, it's kind of funny, but I had, I, I had ordered chicken schnitzel. And it was kind of gross. So that was, that was the last, that was the final straw. And I said, I'm, I'm done here. I'm, I'm going full vegan and I haven't looked back since.
0: <laughs> now, going back to the entrepreneurial journey, what are some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned about yourself on your journey?
1: Um, I think that I'm, I'm more compassionate than I, than I used to think I was. That's, that's a big thing for me is that, you know, on the vegan side, of course, that, you know, you realize the impact it has on the animals. And then as far as the, the business side of, of what I've learned, it's, I think, um, that the consumers are, are really starting to wake up to their impact on, on the environment and, and animals and everything else. So, um, it's, it's just, being able to share share my voice and and show people firsthand what it's done for me.
0: So, do you do a lot of speaking around veganism or, I guess, cruelty towards animals, animal welfare?
1: Um, I, I mean, I've done some. Uh, I haven't I haven't really uh, been on stage with Peter or anything like that. But I'm always happy to talk about it. I I don't ever want to f- be looked at as as like a pushy pushy vegan that's shaming people on what they eat because I think end of the day it's it's your choice what you eat but um you should at least at least know what took place in order for you to get that food so um I'm always happy to talk about it and uh, I think it's important more more than ever now um given the state of our our climate change and in the environment so happy to talk about it at any time with any, really anyone
0: well the voices definitely are getting louder you mentioned you know what people eat. What's some of the feedback you've received regarding your products?
1: Oh, it's been amazing. Um, it's a it's a tricky thing, plant based protein, right? It's uh, it takes a long time to perfect. And um, again, my my co founder um, Darren, he, he's a he's a product formulator. He's been doing it for uh, almost twenty years now, and uh, he knows what people want. And um, I was probably his harshest critic. Uh, critic i would try the products and it took us i would say almost two years to get our protein right and now that we have it in a in a really good spot um consumers are loving it we we get messages from customers all the time just saying uh you know i've been trying vegan proteins for for 10 years and uh i couldn't drink any of them until i found yours and now i'll I'll never switch um your products are awesome. And then people send us new, new flavor ideas. We have the five right now, but, um, we're always looking at new things and
0: just want to keep everyone happy. Where did you guys, or how did you guys decide on those five flavors?
1: You know, I think it was trial and error. We, we, uh, we tried probably, I'd say 10 different flavors or or more already that Darren has, has created. And just, uh, we we would get anyone and everyone we knew to try them and give us feedback and and these five have been the top top hits for everyone and then obviously we talk with our retail partners as well and see what they're what they're seeing from their customers and what they're looking for and yeah that's what we've come up with
0: and I'm reading your bio on the webs on the Outcast Foods website and it says he's into all things alternative and while we don't quite know what this means we're confident it's stellar.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm uh, i'm definitely my own man i have always done things kind of my way and kind of love it or hate it that's that's just how i am
0: what are some of the alternative things you're into
1: well i think anything that makes me feel better and healthier so i'm a i'm a huge fan of kind of hot and cold therapy i, I love saunas and and cold tums, cold tubs and cold plunges and stuff like that so always into pushing my body to new limits and uh keeping it on its toes.
0: So as an ex professional athlete, what are some of the things you do to push your body to new limits?
1: I would say that the biggest thing that I've gotten into, uh, and it kind of coincided with, with COVID hitting is, has been tennis. Um, I've, I've been playing a ton of tennis and, um, anytime I have some spare time, I'm, I'm out on a court and, uh, very passionate about that. Now it's, it's an amazing sport and very, it's a very efficient workout and, allows me to be competitive and uh, and still have fun being outdoors.
0: Now, in Canada, I'm assuming tennis is, like you said, outdoors sometimes, but a lot of times it's indoors?
1: Yeah, it gets pretty cold up here, so um, you got to be able to play indoors as well. And, you know, tennis has come a long way in Canada, so there's, there's courts everywhere, indoor and outdoor.
0: Now, I'm going to read a quote that I found while doing research, and it says, you don't measure success by what you've done. You measure success by what you have left to do. Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're if you're living in the past and in the rear view, you're you're there's that's no way to live. So for me, obviously I had a, a pretty interesting ten years playing professional hockey and kind of reached the pinnacle of, of of the sport in the sense of making it to the NHL. So that was always my dream growing up forever. And then, you know, one day you get to the point and you realize the passion's gone for the sport and you know what you've gotten everything you could out of out of it and you got to figure out something new and reinvent yourself so for me it's it's been uh transitioning into business and now my goal is to to really disrupt this this notion that food can be wasted even though it's perfectly edible so it's a it's a constant evolution and um I, i'm really just trying to live in the present and, and make a difference now
0: well Speaking of new and reinventing, let's fast forward to 2030. If you were to see, and I'm going to, it's a two-part question here. One is, if Forbes or Business Week were to write a headline about outcast foods, what would it read? And then from a more broader macro perspective, specifically around food waste, what are some of the headlines or perhaps some of the changes you'd like to see?
1: That's a good question. I, I think in an ideal world, the headline would say, the Canadian company that ended food waste. I think that would be a really cool one. And then, yeah, I think, I think it would just be about our impact on, on creating access to healthy ingredients for, for everyone. So, um, you know, we obviously know that the population's growing very fast and we need to figure out a way how to feed everyone. So this idea of putting fruits and vegetables or uh, any type of food that's, that can be eaten and putting it in a landfill, it's got to end. So, I think that's uh, that's our mission. And I, I actually, from the bottom of my, of my heart, believe that we have the ability to completely end it.
0: I love the idea about a Canadian company that ended food waste, specifically around food waste. And you may not have exact data at your fingertips, but can you give the audience an idea of the magnitude of this issue around food waste? And let's talk Canada specifically, if you don't have the U.S. you know numbers.
1: Yeah. Well, recently I saw, I saw a number, it was, uh, over a billion tons of food goes to waste. So I don't even know how to wrap my head around how large of a number that is. But, um, if you put it this way, our, our facility, our new, uh, 40, almost 50,000 square foot facility will process about a million and a half pounds a month. So if you think about that, that is a massive number, but how big of a chunk that's going to take out of the the food waste issue is so minuscule. It would be, you know, 0.0000 something, right. Of a percentage. So that just gives you an idea of, of what we're dealing with. And, you know, it's going to take all hands on deck to, to turn this around. It's not just going to be outcast foods that does it. It's going to be other companies that have to kind of step up and partner with us or the multinationals start buying their ingredients from us instead of, you know, traditionally buying it from China or um, just keeping the system going the way it is—it needs to be disrupted, and that's kind of what we're here to do.
0: You know, I find it fascinating, and I'm just curious. I'm just thinking out loud here. How did we end up here to where we walk into a grocery store and all the fruits and vegetables are perfectly polished and clean? And you know, it's such a it's such a U.S. Um, phenomenon, or it's such a Western phenomenon. I, I grew up in London. I remember going, you know, to the market and. Never really ever been concerned about how a fruit or a vegetable really looks.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, <laughs> it's been a, a cascade that we've we've brought on to ourselves by expecting perfect. And I mean, you think about it, right? You go to Whole Foods or Kroger or wherever that grocery store is, and they they have a almost a display and a and a wall full of apples, for instance. And eventually, you know, people are going to buy. The ones that look amazing and the ones that aren't perfect, they sit there on the shelf and eventually they're cold off the shelf and they end up in a landfill. So um, we've, we've brought this problem on ourselves, but we're all guilty of it, right? Like I go to the grocery store still these days and I'm picking through apples to find find the best one. It's, it's ridiculous. And I, I take a step back and I'm like, whoa, what am I doing here? But it, it's uh, it's going to have to change I would say at the pre-consumer level, that's that's what we're focused on and then eventually the education will get down to the consumers and and people decide to make changes if they're ready.
0: You mentioned that you're working at the pre-consumer level at the farm level. Do you know if there are any changes being made at the grocery store or distribution level? I think it depends
1: on on who the grocer is. They're they're all trying to reduce their footprint and and you know, reduce their waste. Their customers are demanding it of them, so Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of forced their hand a little and, and solutions are coming up, right? Like we're, we're there for them and we're an easy solution where we just plug into their current system and, um, instead of them sending it to a landfill, they send it to us. So there are, there are ways that they can be a part of the movement and, uh, we're, we're getting calls all the time and we're always open to working with new grocers.
0: You know, it's interesting. I did mention that 2030 idea, but I'd like to see also by 2030, maybe this transition away from, and I think you mentioned the word education, you know, education or perhaps re-education that if you go into a store and the fruits and vegetables don't look perfect, they'll just, they'll taste just fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think some grocers have tried that before where they, where they sell a, you know, a section of the, the kind of misfit or ugly, fruits and vegetables but a couple that i know it didn't work for them because that that problem still happened where people just were kind of bypassing that section so it's going to take time uh but eventually you know what i think everyone will get on board and and realize that (laughs) you know that that apple that uh is shiny versus the one that has a, a stem poke in it they they both taste the same
0: and the shiny one might have more wax on it
1: yeah most likely it does
0: it's interesting so staying on this idea of, you know, re-education in the future, last question is, if you could share some advice, and you mentioned resilience earlier, which is one of my favorites, and also being compassionate, but if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, and it could be professional or personal, what would it be?
1: You know, I would say, take a step back and, and look at what you're buying. And if you really want to make an impact uh, on the environment or the animals, just just look at the brand and, and think, okay, are these guys doing anything out of the ordinary to help out with the environment? Let's say, are they buying sustainably sourced ingredients? Are they using compostable packaging? Just little things because every every dollar you spend, you're voting with it. So if you want to make an impact, the easiest way to do it is, is through your purchases. You don't have to go and flip your whole world upside down and become a a completely zero waste uh individual where uh, i've seen some funny videos of people that they've wasted you know it's like uh one uh, a one liter size garbage bag for the entire year (laughs) you know like just the the effort that it would take to do that is is just uh monumentous so uh, you can go out and you can support the brands that are doing their best to make a difference
0: and I'm going to cheat here. I said it my last question, but I do have one other question. In case there are any athletes, aspiring athletes, fitness fans listening, what can you perhaps share with them about, you know, if they're considering on the fence about becoming a vegetarian or going vegan, what what, what advice can you share with them?
1: Well, there's support out there for for people that want to do that. There's websites that'll give you full diet plans or um, amazing recipes to, to make that transition. And just just see how your body feels, right? It's uh it's pretty simple to do a little elimination diet where you take let's say let's say you take that chicken or turkey or whatever it is out of your diet for a week and see if you've noticed any differences in, in the way you feel or the way you sleep or look or whatever it is. And decide if it's worth it for you. And uh, I mean, look at this, like uh, Novak Djokovic just just won Roland Garros and he's completely vegan. Like he had some insane matches to get there. So uh, there's plenty of inspiration out there.
0: I appreciate that. And also don't forget, you can also reach out to Outcast Foods and order their products too.
1: Yeah, of course. Outcastfoods.com. You can, that's, the, thats the easiest way to make an impact like
0: and uh, switch your switch your diet a little. Well, TJ, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and I look forward to the future of Outcast Foods and catching up with you again soon. Likewise, thanks, Raj. Thank you, TJ. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, and you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media. Where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com, or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the cleantech, green tech sectors. Bigger than us is a Nexus PMG production.